start with a story. I've lived in South Florida essentially for my whole life. My parents, whom you guys know, they're back there. You can say hi later. They grew up up north, but they came to Florida to attend the University of Miami shortly after the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. So it's a, been here a while. After graduation, um, my dad took a job up in New York where I was born, but they moved back to South Florida before very long and stayed here. I don't remember ever living in New York. I visited, but I don't remember ever living there. But my parents weren't the only New Yorkers. You may find this shocking. My parents weren't the only New Yorkers to move to Florida. Did you know this? Did you know this? If you want to know more about it, Publix is a good place to go for that. Anyway, do you know that Florida's population has grown from 1950, it was about 5 million, and today it is over 22 million in just those few years, 70 years. About 1,000 people move to Florida every day. Do you know that? thousand people. Only Texas attracts more relocators. Texas brings in about 1,100 people per day for anybody keeping score. You can write that down. In contrast, New Jersey loses 72 people a day. Illinois, 189 people. And New York loses 242 people every single day. Yay. So all the old New Yorkers. Now, unlike more traditional societies where people tend to live their whole lives in one place. The United States is really a transient nation, but we move around a lot. And somewhat ironically, notwithstanding the fact that the migration patterns always point toward Florida, they always flow south, so many people who've lived here a long time feel an overwhelming need to leave here. One of my sons uh, who went off for some more school up in New York. He always said, I'll never live in Florida. And then he spent a year in New York. Now he says, I can't wait to get back to live in Florida. But I was one of those people who wanted to leave. When I was coming out of law school, or whenever I wanted to change jobs or change firms during my career, I sought employment anywhere and everywhere except Florida. I've considered returning to Germany, where I spent some time in school, I've interviewed in Alaska, I've interviewed in Hawaii, I've interviewed in Colorado, I even interviewed in North Sioux City, South Dakota. To be honest, I don't even know where that is. I actually made it pretty far in the hiring process. It was with a company called Gateway Computers. Anybody remember Gateway? I'm glad I didn't take that job. But anyway, I got pretty far in the process, and then one of their in-house lawyers called me And he said, so you live in South Florida, and you think you want to come to North Sioux City, do you? He said, listen, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm not going to let you do that. He said, one day, true story, one day you will thank me. Incidentally, he was wrong. I didn't thank him one day. I've thanked him every single day. (laughs) Wow, would that have been a bad idea. Now... All that said, one of the toughest things for me being a pastor is losing people. Having people in our community whom I love, in in whose lives I've invested, who I've gotten to know. It's hard when they move away because they've convinced themselves that they'll enjoy their lives so much more if they just lived in anywhere else. Over the years, I've come to realize that that almost never works out. 
It never works out the way people hope for. Why is that? Well, if we're not now living the lives that we want to live, or if we're not now doing the things that we want to do, because we're under some impression that we can't do them where we currently are or in the situation in which we currently find ourselves, odds are, if that's what you're doing, a change of scenery or a change of location will make absolutely no difference at all. Renowned social scientist and cultural anthropologist Jerome Allen Seinfeld (laughs) has studied this human phenomenon quite closely. Jerry Seinfeld makes the point that wherever we are, We're never really settled there. We're never really settled where we are. We're always thinking about the next thing, the next place, what's next. So wherever we are, toward the end of wherever we are, we say, we got to go. I got to go. In fact, some of you are thinking right now, I got to go. And that was his point. Isn't that true? You're always thinking, what are we doing next? Where am I going next? When I get out of here, what am I going next? What am I doing next? You've heard of FOMO, right? That's the fear of missing out. That's what that's all about. Oh, I'm doing this, but I should be doing that. Oh, I'm doing that, but I should be doing something else. Wherever we are, we're never really settled. We're always thinking about what's next. So for the next few weeks, that's what we'll be talking about in our new series, Pack Your Bags. In this series, we're going to learn how to prepare for what's next. What we need to do now so that we can Be ready for then. All right? Got it? Let's pray, and we'll get going. Father God, thank you for gathering us together this morning. Thank you for bringing our community into this place, just a time where we can reconnect, we can worship together, celebrate together, understand you a little bit better, and do that together as well. God, as we continue on this morning, as we take a look at your word, we ask that you would use it to change us, to transform us from the inside out change our hearts and minds. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, knowing most of you as I do, I know that most of you are are looking forward to something. Now, whether it's coming up in the next few months or even in the near future or next year, there's something that's coming up that most people are looking forward to. Maybe somebody in your family is about to graduate from kindergarten or elementary school, or middle school, or high school, or college. Maybe somebody in your family has a wedding coming up. Maybe you're about to have a baby. Maybe you're looking for a new job or a new career. Maybe retirement is the next big thing for you. You're already an empty nester, and now you're looking toward retirement. Hopefully, for everybody, there's something coming up next that you're looking forward to. You're excited about it, but you're also a little bit stressed out, too. And that is reasonable. That makes perfect sense. Whenever there's something that's next, that means you're going to go through a transition. And a transition always means change. And even if it's a good change, it's still a stressful change. All change is stressful. All transitions are stressful. Want to test that theory? Remember the last time you talked to a bride-to-be? Remember how excited she was? Wedding's coming up. She's all fired up. She's looking at all the websites and Pinterest and put together all this stuff. And you also remember how stressed out she was? Yeah, it's funny that that sort of lives in the same body, doesn't it? All that excitement and all that stress. How about this? Remember the day you took your firstborn child to school for the first time? You knew the day would come. 
It's what's supposed to happen. You were excited about it, but it still stressed you out, right? I, I vividly recall dropping Dylan, our oldest, our firstborn, off at preschool. So we spent three years, you know, raising him up, teaching him all the stuff he needed to learn. We were so excited. We so looked forward to that day when we could drop him off at preschool and have a couple hours to ourselves. And, but it was so stressful. And, and I can still picture it in my mind's eye, dropping Dylan off at the preschool, then seeing his little face pressed up against the glass, going, Mom, Dad, tears streaming down his cheeks. I also picture myself dropping him off in college at the University of Central Florida, tears streaming down my cheeks, <laughs> crying, Dylan, Dylan, stressful. So here's the question. Are there things that we can do now to prepare us for what's next? That's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And as we talk about how to prepare for what's next, there are two things that we have to keep in mind. So the first thing is this. Regardless of what else you are packing to go, whatever you're packing for what's next, for the new job or the new school or the new house or whatever, just remember that along with everything else that you're packing to bring for you, to take on what's next, remember that you pack you. Never lose sight of the fact that as Thomas Akempis, the 15th century author of the renowned devotional, The Imitation of Christ, Akempis famously said this, wherever you go, there you are. This might be the most important thing you hear all year. Wherever you go, there you are. See, here's why. In our minds, we trick ourselves into thinking, well, once I get out of the house or once I get married, or once I move away, or once I have kids, or once I send the kids out, or whatever. We do that and we all think somehow that a new view and a new do is gonna mean a new you. We think that somehow, once you're in a different environment, then, or, or once you have a different perspective, then, then you can finally do the thing that you've always known you ought to do. But here's the truth, a new view, or a new do, does not result in a new you. You bring you with you. Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, you bring with you the same ethics, and morals, and work ethic, and discipline, and strengths, and weaknesses, and, pro and problems, and stresses. You don't change. You take you with you. That's the first thing. The second thing you need to keep in mind is that there's no necessary correlation between knowing what's next and being prepared for what's next. Want to test that statement? Here we go. Every single weekend, worldwide, young men and women get all dressed up and in front of their families and their friends, they take vows and say, I do. Now, of course, those of us who are on the other side of I do know that I do does not mean I can. It just means I plan to. I'd like to. But I don't honestly know yet if I can do or not. 
Just because we know what's coming next doesn't mean we're prepared for what's coming next. Preparation for what's coming next is key. And God has a way for us to be prepared. And today, we're going to talk about how that works in our message that I'm calling Now and Then. So our guidance for today will come from the New Testament book written by James. Remember James? He was Jesus' little brother. Always think about that. Can you imagine your big brother tells you he's the Messiah? You going to believe it? No, you're not. And James didn't believe it either until after Jesus came back. Then he believed it. And he was made the head of the church in Jerusalem. Well, James gives us guidance as to how to prepare for what's next. And as we'll see, he makes this promise at the end. If you do what I've suggested that you do, you will be blessed in what you do. If you do what I'm about to tell you to do in the next season, you'll be blessed in what you do. There's something you can do in this season that'll set you up for success in the next season. Now, to teach this lesson, James gave us a powerful illustration. So we're going to go to James chapter 1, verse 22. This is the New International Version. If you want to look in a Bible, feel free. Any version you like, you'll be able to follow along. Here's what James said. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Okay, let's take a look. Let's break this down. I've underlined the first word, listen. Why did James say listen? Well, that's the way people learned scripture 2,000 years ago. They didn't have their own personal Bibles. They didn't have their own copies. They wouldn't have those copies for about uh, 1,500 years or so. So they knew what scripture taught by listening to someone read it to them, whether it was in the temple in Jerusalem or a synagogue closer to their community or at a person's home. So that's kind of the listen part. Now, we do have our own Bibles. We have Bible apps. We have access to the internet. So we can understand that word listen to also mean read. So don't merely listen. Don't merely read the word. Do what it says. All right. What does that mean? Well, it means this. Don't fool yourselves into thinking that if you've just heard it, it's going to make any difference in your life. If you think just listening to something or just reading something makes a difference in your life, you deceive yourself. Now, this is particularly salient for us as church people. And here's what happens. For some reason, there's something in us that thinks, well, since I was at church on Sunday, I am a better person. Since I showed up for small group this week, I am a better person. Since I've been to church three weeks in a row, by the way, if you have, thank you but you think, I'm a better person. And by the way, that is partially true. It's great to sit here in the rows at church. It's great to be a part of a small group. That's all good. But James was saying something a little bit more specific. He was saying, don't allow that habit that you have of listening and hearing or maybe even reading to deceive you. Because listening and even reading doesn't get the job done. James says, don't fall into the trap of thinking those things are what make the difference. All right, then, what does make the difference? James said, I'm glad you asked. Do what it says. It's not enough to listen. It's not enough to hear. And it's not enough to even be convicted. It doesn't work. And yet, 
There's something in us when we're in an environment like this or watching online at home and the pastor says something very convicting or it kind of gets right up in our faces and there's something in us that's like, oh yeah, wow, you're right. It's funny. For us, if it makes us feel bad, we think of that as kind of a religious experience. Oh, that was conviction from the Holy Spirit. Wow, I feel more spiritual now. In fact, for some people, the whole point of going to church is to feel bad about yourself. Today was great. I feel so bad about myself. I really enjoyed church today. I'm so convicted. I hate everything about myself. Since I felt so terrible about myself, I I think I'm going to get extra credit with God this week. We'll see you next week. James is saying that's not the goal. The goal is that you need to do something with what you've heard. So he said this in verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. All right, let's take a look at the words. First one, anyone. Who's that? (laughs) That's us, right? Anyone means anyone. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says It's like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Have you ever read this passage and thought to yourself, huh? I have for years. I thought this is a weird passage. In the translation, it kind of gets bumped around and it translates strangely into English so it doesn't make as much sense as it should, but we're going to fix that now. Here's what James was saying. James was saying that to listen to the truth taught, but to not, after you've heard it, do anything with it, is like getting up in the morning, looking in the mirror, and thinking, oh, no, 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 that's not good. I can't leave the house like this. And then doing nothing, getting dressed, and going about whatever it was you're going to do for the day, totally forgetting, totally ignoring what you saw in the mirror. Think about it. Why do you look in the mirror? Why do we look in the mirror every morning? I know you do it. We all do it. We look in the mirror to see whether something needs to be done. A look into the mirror requires a response, doesn't it? If we see that we have our hair out of place, or there's something green in our teeth, would we just walk away from that without doing anything about it? You'd never do that with a mirror. When it comes to a real mirror, when you see something, you do something. Why is that? Because looking into a mirror requires a response. Now, here's the interesting thing. And this is true for all of us. This isn't a church thing. It's not a Christian thing. It's just a people thing. Getting your hair right or your makeup or your clothes or your teeth has far less to do with the direction and quality of your life than getting your behavior right. When you're a God follower and you read or hear something that God said, and yet you go out and make a decision or a series of decisions that you know you shouldn't make, that's the equivalent of looking into the mirror and knowing I know what I should do, just not going to do it. We do this with the Bible, even though it doesn't work well. And it doesn't work at all in the real world. No one gets credit in the real world for just looking in the mirror. If you get up tomorrow morning and you look in the mirror and you think, oh, that's horrible, and then you just get dressed and go to work, and your boss comes up to you and says, hey, what are you doing? There's no way you can go in there looking like that, talking to clients, looking like that, and you say to your boss, well, boss, I looked in the mirror this morning. 
Your boss is going to go, oh, okay. Well, then go ahead. No, your boss is going to go, what are you, crazy? How come? Because in the real world, you don't get credit for looking in the mirror. But in the realm of our personal behavior, in the realm of our personal development, we all do that, and we do it all the time. We sit under teaching, we read books, we listen to podcasts, we listen to people preach, we listen to somebody say something, we think, oh. In fact, some of us even do it out loud. We go, we go like this, ah, mmm, ah, mmm. We think that is so convicting. Okay, so what are you going to do about it? Nothing. Just come back next week for another dose of conviction. Isn't that the point? And James says, if that's what you're doing, if that's your pattern, you're deceiving yourself. It's obvious what you should do. You're just not doing it. If you're in that habit, this is how it connects to our series. If you're in that habit of seeing something but not doing something, guess what? When you move into that next season, when you step into what's next, you'll see something and do nothing then as well. Because your present habit of doing nothing with what you hear and what you see will be the habit that you bring with you. It'll be the habit that you carry with you into the next season, and you won't be prepared. Now, thankfully, James doesn't leave us hanging, so he goes on in verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Okay, so it starts off, but. So we introduce that first habit, and then there's this contradiction, but, but, whoever looks at the word intently, all right, intently, what does that mean? Well, a little Greek is helpful here, and I'm going to apologize to our Greek friends who actually understand Greek and speak it well and all that. I'm about to butcher this pronunciation. But the Greek word is parakypsis, parakypsis. And that conveys the idea that you're walking along and you see something, so you stop. And then you crouch down and you intentionally gaze at it and you get close to it and you study it until you figure out what it is that you're looking at. So it's not just a casual glance. It's a stop and stare but whoever looks intently into the perfect law. Okay, what's the perfect law here? Remember this? Remember when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry and one day someone came up to him and said, Rabbi, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? This was a common question for first century Jews and this was a common question that the Jewish leaders tried to trip Jesus up with. And the first century Jews all knew the same answer. They all knew the answer to the question. They knew this Answer to the question because it comes from the Jewish confession of faith found in Deuteronomy 6. We call that the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So they asked Jesus this question, and Jesus answered the question, well, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And everybody went, hmm, right? They nodded. And then he went, and everybody stopped. And you can't add anything to the greatest commandment. What are you doing? And your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, these together make up the greatest command. That short statement changed the world. Jesus took the 613 commandments, 613 mitzvot, 
that the Jews practice and boiled it down to one. On the last night of Jesus' life, before he would be crucified, he gathered with his disciples at that last supper, and he said, lads, tonight I'm going to give you guys a new command. To which they thought, wow, we've already got 613 of them. Does this mean we'll now have 614 of them? To which Jesus would have said, no, we're going from 613 down to one. And then Jesus said something so heretical, so blasphemous, that if it had been their last night together, they probably would have all gotten up and walked out. Jesus said, In essence, from now on, from this moment forward, love one another the way that I have loved you. If you forget everything else, if you forget the 613 laws, remember this one command. This is my command. This is the law of Jesus. You're to love one another, not the way that you've been loved or not even the way you want to be loved, but you're to love one another the way that Jesus loved you. And no doubt, the disciples thought to themselves about all the occasions in the last three years that Jesus had loved them well. But they had no idea what was to come. Because a few hours later, Jesus would be arrested, and he would die for their sin. And then he would rise from the dead, and he would say, now that's what I'm talking about. James says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law, he wasn't talking about the 613 commandments. He boiled it down, as Jesus did, to this one idea. The law says the thing that we're going to look at intently, the thing that we pause and stare at is the idea that I'm supposed to love you and I'm supposed to respond to you the way that God in Christ loved and responded to me. And then James said something incredible. Then he said, and when we do that, we'll experience freedom. That's the promise of gazing intently into Jesus' perfect law and then doing it, not just memorizing it, and not just making the Christian yummy sound, mmm. That promises freedom. That seeing and doing now and listening and doing now results in freedom later. Now, working this practice into your life will change everything. Here are some of the ways it's changed my life. Early on, I learned about cheerful, sacrificial giving. Now, I assure you, I'd never heard anything like that in my life, that you take money that you make and you give it to the work of the church. I'd never heard of such a thing, and I certainly had never considered such a thing. God spoke of giving a tenth of my income to his work. Why? Why? Well, this is easy. Because we give our money away and it helps other people. Because your heavenly father sent his son to give his life away. And Jesus said, now I want you to do for others what I have done for you. So when Beth and I were new Christians and we got into this habit, we we gave first and then we saved second and then we lived on the rest. And you want to know something? You want to know what the result has been in our lives after years of doing it? Financial freedom. Because when you live like this, you just stay out of debt. You don't even have to decide to stay out of debt. You just stay out of debt. It creates a template for how you should manage all of your money. 
And at the end of the day, you end up with financial freedom. You don't overspend. You don't spend more than you have. You don't get big eyes and try to buy things that you can't afford and all that sort of stuff. James says, that's what I'm talking about. And you know why it made such a difference in my life? Because I heard it and then I did it. Now, I'm not trying to guilt you. You know, I don't like that. I'm not trying to brag. Remember, bragging is really when you crow about something you've done that no one else can do. But I've told you what I've done because everyone can do it. You can do it too. Every one of you ought to do it because it's a demonstration of God's love for you through Christ. How about this one? Forgive. You know we're supposed to forgive, right? Forgiveness doesn't seem liberating though, does it? A lot of people really resent the idea of forgiveness because forgiveness actually feels like you're being punished. It's like I'm being punished and the guilty guy's going free? That doesn't seem like freedom. That doesn't seem fair. If I forgive, I'm letting the other person off, which means I don't get payback. I'm letting the person go. That's not liberating. But for anybody here or anybody that's watching us at home who's ever really forgiven somebody for something that they did that really hurt you, you know it's true, don't you? Forgiveness is liberating. It's so nice not to carry that around anymore. Forgiveness leads to freedom. And why do we forgive? Because the Bible tells us so? No. We forgive because God in Christ forgave us. And we are to do for others what God through Christ has done for us. God notwithstanding our inherent sinfulness, loved us anyway. And out of his love for us, God made a way for us to be connected forever to him because God sent God the son, Jesus, and he paid for our sins when he died on that cross. And then he was put into a tomb and then he rose from the dead and then he appeared to witnesses and then he went up to heaven and he promised to return one day to usher in God's kingdom here on earth. And we can tap into that power when we turn from the way that we were And we turn to him, devoting our lives to his lordship. James was right. When we stop and gaze and find our reflection in the mirror of this incredible law of liberty, and we stare at it long enough to decide what we need to do about it, and then we do something with it, it makes a difference. Because looking and making adjustments now is what creates freedom and liberty later. And do you know why? Because life is interconnected. All the seasons of our life are interconnected. That's why when you say, you know what? This is what I'm going to do now. But when I move, I'm not going to do it anymore. That doesn't work. The seasons of our life are connected. Well, you know, this is what I do now. But once I'm married, I won't do it anymore. No, it doesn't work. The seasons of our life are connected. Well, this is what I'm going to do now, but once I get out of here, once I get out of the house, once I go to school, once I get a new job, then I'll do something different. Nope. It doesn't work that way. Your seasons of our life are connected. Now, there's another Greek thing going on here that I just want to make sure you understand. James was not saying that what you do will be blessed. Okay, so he's not saying all your actions will be blessed. It's actually better than that. What James is saying here is that you personally will be blessed in the doing. By the way, the word blessed simply means happy. Just a Christian way of saying happy, okay? Do you know that? Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers. 
that you'll be happy. You'll be fulfilled in the doing of what God has called you to do. In other words, the habit of doing will make you happy. Think of it like this. There is a personal fulfillment in responding to what we see in the mirror, right? When you look in the mirror and your look isn't quite right and you fix it and you go, there it is. Anybody old enough to remember happy days? Remember what Fonzie used to do? Right? Isn't it awful when you forget to respond to something you see? James says, look, there is extraordinary fulfillment. There is extraordinary happiness. There is a blessing in responding to what we see in the mirror. You get it? It's not that everything we'll do will be blessed. It's that there's something fulfilling when we begin to do what we know we need to do. The process on its own fills us up. And that's why this habit is such great preparation for what's next. Because being a doer now is preparation for being a doer later. And here's the trick. You think, well, once I get to college, it's a different season. It's a different bunch of do's. It is. But if you're not doing now, you won't do then either. That works for every situation. A new view and a new do does not make you a new you. You're still the same person. This is why the best preparation, the best preparation for what is next is to do what God has called you to do right now, right where God has you, right here in this season. Because it sets you up for what God will call you to do in the next season or a season that follows. Just do that which God calls you to do, and when you get to the next season, you'll see what God did in your life. They say life is to be lived prospectively going forward, but understood retrospectively. Looking backward, you won't understand it going through, but you'll understand it when you review it. When you step across the line into that next season, there will be freedom. There will be liberty. You will be blessed in what you do. I know exactly where I would be if I'd just been a hearer. And the reason that I say that is because the greatest regrets in my life are associated with hearing but not doing anything about it. And I'm guessing that if you really think about it, the greatest regrets in your lives are associated with hearing and not doing also. Your greatest regrets in life are when somebody tried to tell you and you didn't want to hear it because then you'd have to do it. So if you're not doing now, you probably won't do later, and you won't be prepared for what's next, because doing, not hearing, is what makes all the difference. Now, Jesus taught the same thing through a parable. Maybe you've heard it before. Here's the part of the parable. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Therefore, everyone, that's all of us, everyone who hears and does is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rains come down and the streams rise and the wind blows and beats against that house, it doesn't fall. Why? Because its foundation was upon the rock. You know what Jesus is teaching us there? That the way you lay a solid foundation for your life is by being a doer, not a hearer. 
If we'll do that when things get difficult, when things aren't working out, if we'll do that, our lives won't fall down. One of my heartbreaks as a pastor is when I hear about people who have stories that could have been avoided, but somebody wouldn't do even though they'd heard. James was clear. If you'll be a doer now, you'll be a doer later. So here's my question. What are you not doing now that you should be doing? What are you not doing now that you should be doing and you tell yourself, eh, I'll start later? Or what are you doing now that you shouldn't be doing? That you tell yourself, eh, later I'll stop. I won't do it now, but I'll stop later. James says, if you're doing that, you are deceiving yourself. Jesus says, your life may come tumbling down. Do you know what all the lives that tumble down had in common? They knew and they'd heard. And the people who loved those folks the most saw it happening and couldn't do anything to stop it. And every single person whose life came tumbling down at some point along the way was confronted with a mirror that required a response. And they said, yeah, I ought to. I should, I know. I need to think about, I think you're right, but not now. Doing, not hearing, is what makes the difference. Doing, not hearing, will determine if you're prepared for what's next. So, let's end on this question. What do you need to do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this scripture. Thank you for allowing us this time to go through it, to understand it. Now, God, please give us the courage to take it to heart and to endeavor in our lives to do and not just know so that we can be prepared for what's next. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.